0: Welcome to the Brodie's Employment and Immigration podcast, brought to you in association with Workbox by Brodie's, our award-winning online HR and employment law resource. I'm Katie Spearman, a practice development lawyer in Brodie's Employment and Immigration team, and on today's episode, I'm joined remotely by employment law solicitor Louise Usher. Louise and I are going to be discussing the topic of changing employee terms and conditions on this episode. Focusing on the types of situations where employers may need to consider proposing changes and providing some guidance on how to do so in a way which is both legally compliant but also whilst hopefully maintaining good employee relations. Louise, it's great to have you on today's episode, particularly as I know you've been helping clients recently with these issues. Thanks, Katie.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that clients have been considering for a variety of reasons. We've been assisting employers that need to make changes because they have employees that are going on furlough and may need to temporarily reduce their salaries. We've also had employers who are looking to make changes for cost-saving reasons and also, more recently, employers that need to make some changes to terms and conditions as they're trying to get employees back to the workplace safely.
0: Yeah, there's definitely been a lot to think about in terms of change recently for employers, hasn't there? And I think often employers are, are unsure about how to approach changing terms and conditions and how they can do so in a safe way, legally speaking.
1: Absolutely. And also from an employee relations perspective, changing terms and conditions, particularly in relation to pay, can be a sensitive topic. And employers are keen not to damage good relationships that they've built up with their employees.
0: Exactly. And change may need to come about for different reasons. And depending on the reason, different terms and conditions are likely to be under consideration or affected. So you'll have some employers who are looking at the shift to flexible furlough arrangements from July, and will be looking at documenting how that's going to work. And then others will be thinking about changes they could make, like you said, to save costs, so, looking potentially at reductions or changes to pay and benefits, which which again will need to be carefully considered.
1: Yes, and then as I mentioned, you also have challenges of returning to work safely, which could involve changes, for example, implementing different shift patterns, introducing rota systems, or even condensed hours where employees work the same number of hours but over fewer days to make social distancing more manageable.
0: Yeah, return to work is is going to involve lots of considerations for for employers. So turning now to, I suppose, how to go about making changes to terms and conditions, because this is often something HR teams and employers have questions about. And I think the main concern is how they make the changes without exposing themselves to to unnecessary risk and, and also managing employee relations.
1: I'd agree. There's an apprehension there on the employer's part. I would say the first thing to think about when considering changing terms and conditions is to distinguish between contractual terms and non contractual terms. You're going to have more scope to modify non contractual provisions or arrangements at any time without necessarily securing the agreement of the employee. So you should look at the provision that you want to change and establish whether or not it has contractual effect in the first instance.
0: And when we talk about contractual terms, these are usually the key terms of your employment contract, aren't they? So things such as pay, job title, job description, place of work, hours of work.
1: Absolutely. Those are most likely to be contractual.
0: So if you want to make the changes to these sorts of terms, what do employers need to do? Can they go ahead and make the change or do they need employees' consent?
1: Well, the first part of is normally going to be to try and get the employee to agree to the changes, as the general principle is that changes should be mutually agreed. In most cases, just making unilateral changes without involving employees isn't the best way to go about things. There may be some instances where your contracts provide an explicit right to vary contractual terms, which you may be able to rely upon, as it may be possible to interpret the term you want to change sufficiently broadly to accommodate the change that you're seeking to make. For example, You might want to tweak the job duties of an employee and you may be entitled to do that if there's a clause in the contract that says, for example, we may change your duties and may require you to carry out additional duties from time to time. There might also be an express right for you to make the change in the contract, such as, for example, a mobility clause that enables you to require an employee to work from one of your other offices or locations. You might also see a general variation clause in your contracts, which is one that might, for example, say we may make such changes to any of your terms and conditions of employment as we consider reasonable. I would say, though, so. courts are very reluctant to give employers carte blanche to change terms and conditions, evading the general principle that changes must be mutually agreed. It'll be very difficult to rely on a general variation clause for any detrimental change, and it really shouldn't be used for anything other than a reasonable or minor administrative change, which isn't detrimental to the employee. There may also be some discrimination risk to be aware of so for example if an employer seeks to rely on a contractual term giving them the right to relocate employees it could potentially constitute an indirect sex discrimination risk if it's more difficult for women to relocate because we know that a greater proportion of women compared with men are secondary earners and it therefore would be important for an employer to have an objective justification in a case like that.
0: Yes, these are all important considerations, aren't they? And reinforce the point that consulting with employees is the best way to go. Also, thinking about things from an employee relations perspective, if you go ahead and make a fundamental change without consulting with the employee, even if you think you're able to rely on a contractual provision, it could damage the relationship of mutual trust and confidence between you and the employee, which could potentially give rise to employment tribunal claims. So, if we look at seeking employees consent in a bit more detail what advice would you give Louise?
1: Well I think there are a few things to consider. The first one is probably timing. You'll need to think about when the changes will be required and make sure that you have plenty of time beforehand to engage and have that open dialogue with an employee about the reasons for the change, the timing of the change and the implications for the business if the change isn't made. You'll also need to think about the way that you'll communicate your proposals You may want to arrange an initial presentation or meeting with the employees who are affected by video link and then have one-to-one meetings where you'll consult with each affected employee individually. At those one-to-one meetings it gives the employees a chance to discuss how changes would affect them personally and it can also allow you to understand any concerns or objections that they may have.
0: Yeah I think timing is an important one. Employees I think firstly need to allow enough time for themselves to plan out their process but also enough time for employees to think about and consider the changes. And it's important not to lose sight of the practical implications the changes might have and give employees a chance to, to mull things over. So if the employees are agreeable to the changes that, that you're proposing, after you've consulted with them, what would be the next step?
1: I guess the next thing to think about would be confirming that you have their consent formally, ideally in writing. While an oral agreement is often technically sufficient, I would always recommend that you get the change agreed in writing in case there is later dispute about what has been agreed. In some contracts of employment, it will expressly say that any changes must be agreed in writing. You may need to consider how that can actually be achieved at the moment in a practical sense. You may, for example, want to send a letter intimating the changes to the employee and ask them to sign the letter and post it back to you. Alternatively, if the employee is able to print, sign, and return the letter by scanning it in and sending it in an email to you, that might be be a quicker way of handling the process. There is some authority to suggest that it's possible to vary a contract by email. So, if an employee doesn't have the option to scan and return a letter, and you need to make the change quite quickly, you could ask them to signify their consent to the changes via email, so that it is really quite clear that they have agreed to the change that you've proposed.
0: Yeah, and I think lastly, I would just highlight that it's important that you don't put employees under any pressure and that you give them a reasonable amount of time to consider the changes that you're proposing.
1: Yes it really is worthwhile trying to get the employees consent to changes and handling things in an amicable way wherever possible as that saves you going down the road of considering imposing changes unilaterally which tends to carry a lot greater risk of breach of contract claims and Potential constructive unfair dismissal claims as well, provided that the employees have the requisite service, which in most cases is two years.
0: Yeah, and also in relation to to changes to pay, if you don't seek consent from employees to, to vary their pay, then there's a very real risk of facing claims in relation to unlawful deduction from wages.
1: Absolutely. Another thing that I would just mention before we move on is trade union involvement. It might also be possible to vary an employee's individual contract of employment where the change is negotiated by an independent trade union or other employee representative body. That will most commonly apply where there's express reference to a collective agreement in the individual employee's contract of employment. Any changes to terms which have been agreed through a collective bargaining process may be binding on individual employees. We wouldn't recommend attempting to negotiate changes to terms and conditions directly with employees where there is a collective agreement in place. You should not generally abandon collective negotiation to seek individual deals, and if you do that, there is a risk of unlawful adjustment claims.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Louise, and, and definitely something to consider for for unionised workforces. So, some listeners might be thinking: Could we not terminate the existing contract and offer employment under new terms, particularly? if the change is material or if seeking an agreement is proving difficult?
1: Well, yes, that is an option. However, if you offer continuing employment on revised terms, termination of the existing employment contract will constitute a dismissal in law. So that means that the employee will be entitled to their notice pay and they may also be able to bring an unfair dismissal claim in the ordinary way if they have more than two years' service. And that's even if they choose to accept the offer of new employment. It's also important to bear in mind that if you're proposing to dismiss and then re-engage 20 or more employees within a period of 90 days or less, the collective consultation obligations and the duty to notify the Secretary of State will be triggered. In light of the penalty for failure to collectively consult, which could be an award of up to 90 days actual pay to each affected employee, and the criminal penalty for failure to notify the Secretary of State, if the proposed change is likely to mean that the employee's agreement will be difficult to obtain, and that notices of termination may need to eventually be issued to at least 20 employees, An employer should consider starting collective consultation and notifying the Secretary of State at the outset
0: of that process. Definitely, I think thinking about the potential numbers of those involved from the start is crucial, as as like you say, protective awards can be costly. So to wrap up our discussion, uh, it might be helpful to just sum up some of our, our top tips. So I think the key point is to follow a process, isn't it? making sure there is a plan in place for making the change and that it reflects the current circumstances, and engaging as early as possible to give the employees adequate warning of the change.
1: And as well to be prepared to do a selling exercise, you'll need to convince employees why the change is necessary and explain what the alternative is. If employees make proposals for alternatives, then you should be prepared to give those due consideration as well.
0: Yeah, and I think um, we touched on the discrimination risks that that you need to consider, particularly if your changes are likely to disproportionately impact any group with a protected characteristic.
1: Yeah, Casey, discrimination risks are are always something to bear in mind. Um, Finally, I would just add that changing terms and conditions under TUPI is probably a podcast in and of itself, but it is generally more difficult to change terms and conditions in the context of a TUPI scenario where if you want to make any changes, you'll need to show that there's also an economic, technical or organisational reason in order to do so fairly.
0: Thanks, Louise. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks, Louise, for your advice, and thank you for listening. Workbox by Brodie's users can access FAQs and resources in relation to changing terms and conditions on our dedicated pages. To find out more about Workbox or to sign up for a free trial, click the link in the show notes. And also our dedicated Workbox Coronavirus FAQ pages are still available to everybody and provide lots of information in relation to furlough and the job retention scheme, homeworking and lots more. And you can find these by searching for coronavirus on our website, www.brodies.com.